The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Well, a, a warm welcome to you again, once again. My name is Rob Reed, in, in case you happen to have come in late. Um, this fall, I asked my partner, uh, I said, what do you say to Buddhists on Christmas? <laughs> and she turned to me and she said, I don't know, what do you say? She thought it was a joke. <laughs> she hadn't realized, and I hadn't told her, that Mark had just asked me if I would uh, talk to Buddhists on, on Christmas. On, on Christmas. Um, so what do I say to you tonight? Well, um, first of all, a really warm welcome on the birth of a very famous wise prophet who came to the earth and is claimed to have... Uh, People believe that he, or we, at least we celebrate the birthday of this wise prophet tonight. So I'm interested in talking this evening on how we can look at each other with eyes of love. And I'm interested in this because uh, I really think that our very troubled world needs a little bit more love more kindness. And I'm interested in knowing um, what your def- what's your default orientation. And I'll have some time. Uh, I'd like to hear from, hear from you. I'm curious to hear what it means for you to look at eyes of love at the world, at strangers, at difficult, challenging people that push our buttons, at the homeless man or woman at the exit of the highway with a sign? Do we look at them? Do we acknowledge them? Can we see their humanity? Can we look at them with eyes of love or do we look at them with eyes of fear? I chose this topic because I think that this is really, in my mind, the essence of all the world religions. I think that's the message that the world religions are trying to convey. All of the world religions, at least the best parts of those religions. I think that they're inviting us to radically orient ourselves, to sort of flip our consciousness from the uh, usual unexamined way of looking at life or at people and looking at them with eyes of love. There's a word of caution for this talk. I don't think that it's easy to do. And I think the harder you try to do it sometimes, I think the, the more spectacularly I fail. So I don't know if I fail, but I just, I feel, I feel, feel like I fall short. I have interactions and I think, oh, I wish I had said more, or I wish I had said less, or I wish I had said that differently. But maybe that's okay. I think it is. In fact, I think that that's the essence of love, is beginning again and again. Being kind and compassionate to yourself so that you can 
have the strength to begin again and again. The question that our guiding teacher, Mark Numberg, often asks us, as well as most meditation teachers, is what's being known now? I love these words because they help ground us. They help center us in the present moment, and they help us know what's on our mind. It's important to know where your mind is. If we're not paying attention, and that's our default mode, our brains run wild like, like dogs. I, I told, uh, uh, I'm blanking your name, Chelsea. I told Chelsea I'm going to talk about, she has a, a dog shirt on, and I said, I'm going to mention dogs. <laughs> I went to a dog park uh, this week with a friend along the Minnehaha, Mini, Mississippi River. It is an amazing place, and I, I don't have a dog myself, but I was just amazed to see these dogs once they're off the leash. They just bolt out of there like they've just been sprung from jail, and they are just wild animals. I mean, that's what they are, aren't they? And they're just, um, it's frightening and something to behold. And also, it's very wonderful to see these dogs just have their, their freedom. But it's also frightening. I mean, some of these dogs are like 50, 60 pounds. And uh, I've been told that if they just run really quickly and they cut right in front of you, they can just knock you down, right? They're just enjoying their animal nature, right? Some dogs are loving up on other dogs. Some dogs are being real bullies. And some dogs are like burying their neck. Um, because they're, they're so frightened. So it's, it can be terrifying as well. And I'm just talking about this because we too are animals, right? Basically. And uh, our minds go wild with the three poisons, the three tendencies that we are heir to as human beings. And they are greed, anger, and delusion. Greed often manifests as desire, lust, clinging, attachments. Anger manifests as hatred, dislike, aversion. And delusion manifests as confusion and ignorance. Just to name a few of the flavors. There are a lot, <laughs> lots of different uh, permutations and variations. Happily, in our tradition, we practice cultivating their op opposites. So the opposite of greed is generosity. The opposite of anger is practicing love and compassion. And the opposite of delusion is cultivating wisdom. Yet, to varying degrees, these three poisons still, as much as we try, they torment us. And they tend to run our lives sometimes when we're not being we're, we're not having mindful, a mindful day. The Burmese uh, teacher, Saida Utejaniya, who I was fortunate to practice with, he says, if you don't watch your mind, these qualities will grow and multiply. The mind does not belong to you, but you are responsible for it. And the Buddha reminds us about the importance of watching our mind as well. He says, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. 
If one frequently thinks and ponders upon thoughts of loving kindness, one has abandoned thoughts of ill will to cultivate thoughts of loving kindness. And then one's mind inclines to thoughts of loving kindness. And in another sutta, the Buddha says, there are wholesome and unwholesome states, blamable and blameless states, inferior and superior states, dark and bright states. Frequently giving attention to them is the nutriment for their arising. So the Buddha is saying that what we think about, we bring about. If our thoughts go to unwholesome states, that's the nutriment for the arising of blame, inferior, and dark states. In a sense, we can create our own future by monitoring our minds in the present moment knowing where this mind is now, knowing what's being known now is so helpful. Because the mind stream can be purified by both the presence of the wholesome state and the fact that there's the absence of the unwholesome state. We can't have two things in our mind at once. So if there are wholesome states, then the unwholesome states aren't there. Just think for a moment, how the mood that you're in when you wake up in the morning, how that influences the start of your day. And it could influence the other people in your household as well. Whatever the state of your mind is, it shapes your experience of the world. The world hasn't changed, but our mind state has changed. One of the most wholesome, superior, bright, and blameless states we can direct our minds to is looking at the world with eyes of love. Now, I have to confess something quite embarrassing. <laughs> and that is, is that when I thought of this talk and planned this talk for a long time, for like, I was way into like one of the first drafts. I hadn't realized that I was talking actually about metta. Now, if you come here often, you know what metta is. Metta is, M, is spelled M-E-T-T-A, and it's the Pali scripture wor- word for loving kindness, for befriending, right? I, I was, I, had I known that I was uh, treading on this really sort of big uh, foundational Buddhist practice of metta, I, I don't think I would have dared to start this talk, but I was so in, so, uh, so far in, it was too late and too, too few days to uh, change topics. Because I thought it would be presumptuous, had I thought I, it was meta that I was talking about, I thought it would be presumptuous of me to, to talk about it. Because for me, it's a really loaded word, and it has a lot of connotations for me. For example, one of the uh, connotations is, is Metta is something that I do on the cushion in this place, and there's, it comes with a set of phrases. You probably know them, and there are variations of them, but may I be happy, may I be strong and healthy, may I be peaceful. 
and then we start with the pronoun I because it's so important to start with yourself at the beginning and then you start with other people. And then if you're really advanced, you can uh, go to difficult people, sending metta to them. It's a very powerful practice, but um, it's something that I always sort of, it's hard for me to take it out into the world. And when I was talk- thinking about seeing with eyes of love, I was, I was seeing it in sort of street meta. That's what I was thinking. This is stuff that I can take with me out on the street or in my daily life. And so my hope by using this phrase, eyes of love, is it will stretch our imagination and inspire us to practice it anew and to have the faith that we can, we can do this. Doing metta has often been very dry and mechanical for me. And I think that that's, uh, I think that uh, being con- growing up in the 50s and the 60s as a man, I think that there's a lot of men, actually, guys, <laughs> that um, at least I'll speak for myself, is that it's really hard for us, or I'll speak for myself, it's hard for me to sort of access my emotions. And maybe that's why I find that uh, doing meta can be very dry and mechanical. I'm just now, at my age, just beginning to start to realize that I do have emotions, and so I'm starting to name them. I'm starting to feel them. I'm starting to feel the pain or the joy. And um, it's sort of a, a new awakening, and I feel like I would like to get together with other men. And actually, we do have a, a men's conversation uh, quarterly here at uh, Common Ground for guys to come and um, have a, a, man, a man talk. <laughs> um, I was relieved to hear in a recent Dharma talk by a, a lovely woman named Jaya Rutgard. Um, she's British. She was a Theravada nun in the Ajahn Chah tradition. Uh, she gives Dharma talks on uh, dharmaseed.org is where you can find a lot of good Dharma talks. And I heard her talk recently. And she said something that was a real relief to me. She said that metta is not a feeling that you have to concoct. It's not a feeling that you have to manufacture. And she clarifies that metta is an intention, not a feeling. Metta is an experience where there's a connection accompanied by a real absence of ill will. That was kind of revolutionary (laughs) for me to hear this. In Jaya's Dharma talk, she cites the quote that I've heard often, and I'm sure you've heard it often too. uh, The Buddha said it in in what's called the Dhammapada, which is a collection of sayings of the Buddha in verse form. You might recognize the quote. Hatred doesn't cease by hatred, but by love alone does hatred cease. Well, guess what? (laughs) She has a new interpretation, and I don't know if it's an interpretation or a new translation that's more accurate, but she, her, the, the translation that I heard was, hatred doesn't cease by hatred, but by non-hate alone does hatred cease. 
Isn't this curious? So love isn't mentioned. I thought that was really curious. And I really appreciated hearing this because then I thought, well, I don't, that really sort of lets me off the hook when I feel like I can't love those who are so easy to hate. And um, I bet you're wondering who I'm, <laughs> who I'm tempted to hate. <laughs> and, and should I be hating because I'm a Buddhist? Well, I, it's sort of maybe a love. It's not a love. <laughs> it's not a love-hate relationship. I am tempted to hate, uh, I confess, dictators, rulers, demagogues, and presidents who incite fear and fan the flame of flames of division. I am tempted to hate those who seem to have a callous disregard for those who do not share their religion, their race, their privilege. How very easy it is to fall into hate. That's just the problem, isn't it? It's easy for a Buddhist to fall into hate. And yet, to succumb to hate, I realize, is to fall victim to the very injustice that I'm condemning in others. That strikes me as being hypocritical. So this new translation allows me to take baby steps in the right direction. I may not be quite able to love my enemies, but I can refrain from wishing them ill will. I can do that. And this is a significant improvement because then the wheel, the momentum of hate has just stopped spinning. And if the momentum can stop spinning, what happens? it might be able to go in the reverse direction then. And we can, instead of sending ill will, we can be sending goodwill. And even the very advanced practice is sending love and compassion for those people that we're tempted to hate. Not too long ago, you probably have this experience, driving in the car, somebody sort of comes up right behind you suddenly and kind of scares you and then goes around you and cuts in front and then sort of weaves in and out of traffic. I confess I had some ill will. I have ill will to those drivers and I have wished them, may you have a crash even. I've caught myself in that. I've caught myself and I've noticed how it feels, how that contraction feels how that ill will feels. And carrying around hatred and anger or even resentful feelings is, is a poison. It has a negative effect on our health and our well-being. I'm wondering if anyone has heard of Alice Hertz Sommer. Nobody? She died recently. She died in 2014. 
She, was, she died at the age of 110, making her the oldest known Holocaust survivor. Her life was spared because she was a gifted pianist. The lives of her friends, the lives of her husband, the lives of her child were not spared. In spite of everything, she forgave the Nazis. She refused to be bitter. She said, hatred eats the soul of the hater, not the hated. Very wise woman. You can Google her. She's uh, quite uh, fun to watch on YouTube. Uh, She's playing the piano. She's talking. She's reminiscing. The Buddha said, holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You're the one that gets burned. By not wishing others ill will or harm is a new beginning. It's a first step. We're beginning to turn the situation around and offer up a new possibility. It's a profound shift we make as human beings when we move from aversion to kindness, from abandoning to welcoming. What works for me to tenderize and open my heart is that I just have to see the causes and the conditions of those people, of the, of the mean people. It's just nature taking its course. Of course they're like that, given their childhood, given their upbringing, given their background. If I had been born into their environment, that would be me. And in fact, I'm, I'm no angel. I recognize the shadow side of myself. And I see it all too frequently. And because we have a shadow side, it's really important to monitor what we're doing with our minds, where our minds are, What's being known now? What are we nourishing? What are we feeding? Wholesome or unwholesome states? Inferior or superior states? Dark or bright states? What we frequently give attention to is the nutriment for their arising, in the Buddha's words. Yesterday, at Lifetime Fitness, I was on the treadmill. I don't watch TV, but I do at Lifetime Fitness because there's like six screens there. (laughs) For the really bored mind that's not paying attention, there are six things to divert you. (laughs) Anyway, I was working out. You don't hear the words. You just see the little subtitles on the bottom. And... All of a sudden, this conversation that I was reading really caught my attention, and they were talking about mean people. How appropriate was that? And, I, and the 
these celebrities, these uh, celebrities, <laughs> I, heard, I heard one of them saying, saying that they, they were quoting a pastor, and, they, and the pastor said, to help mean people, love them more. Hurt people hurt people. They're mean because they don't get, they didn't get enough love. They're mean because they didn't get enough love in their childhood. I really believe that. I'm wondering what you think. Last year, a healer, a woman who came to Common Ground for the second visit, talked here. Her name is Ruth King. She's now a trainer and a meditation teacher in our tradition, and she's the author of several books, including Mindful of Race, Transforming Racism from the Inside Out. I'd like for us now to do a little exercise. It's appeal. Uh, it, 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 its appeal <laughs> its appeal is that it reminds us that we're all connected, right? So on one level, we can look very different. And I think that we need to acknowledge our differences. We need to acknowledge our differences of race, of gender, of age. And yet, at the same time, we can be so divided about our differences that we forget, in essence, that we all share the same humanity. So remembering this helps unite us rather than separate us. So this exercise has several parts, and I'll lead you through them one at a time. So let's begin by turning to someone near you, someone you don't know, and introduce yourself, welcome them, and uh, say your name, and say your pronouns, and decide who goes first. So I'll give you a little bit of time to get in partners. You can um, sit turning, turning around, face your, face your mats, face your chairs to each other. Please do this with somebody that you don't know, ideally, or, and, at least, and for sure somebody you didn't come with. All right. So I'll let you get into partners, and then we'll, we'll go from there. I'll give you the instructions now. So the person who is designated to go first, will repeat the phrases I say, and the other person just listens, and then we'll switch. All right, so you ready? First person that was designated. If you didn't belong to me, you wouldn't be here. So look at that person as... If I didn't belong to you, I wouldn't have come. So continue the first person, keep on going. Your heart and my heart are very old friends. So notice how it felt to say those words. Notice how it feels in your body now. Is there a shift in you? Is there a shift in how you regard this person? 
And now we'll give the second person a chance to say those words looking into the eyes of the other person. Don't be afraid to go ahead and turn completely uh, to that person. So we'll begin now. If you didn't, if you didn't belong to me, you wouldn't be here. If I didn't belong to you, I wouldn't have come. Your heart and my heart are very old friends. So again, just soak that in for a moment. So, if you were looking with the eyes of love, how would it show up in your life? And what does it mean to you? So let's just go ahead and report out. What is looking with the eyes of love? What, what surprises were there? What? I'm not even going to talk about the content of the question, mm-hmm. because other people can do that. But I'll just say the exercise itself of just connecting with somebody, listening to somebody, and thanking that somebody. And I actually added another piece, which was reflect back what they said. Mm -hmm. Um, Just that in itself brought out a ton of energy, a ton of connection, and a ton of goodwill. Mm -hmm. So the exercise in its format Mm -hmm. is the practice, in my mind, Mm -hmm. of being Mm -hmm. open-hearted, listening, and having... Uh, being the embodiment of what you're asking for. So separate from what I came up with, I noticed that that actually having conversations with people you don't know of some depth uh, is worth doing. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. welcome. I don't think this is working. Yes, it's working. Great. Somebody else. Thank thank you, Anne. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I said to you earlier that I came here tonight because I knew this was the topic. Yes. Of my great interest. And what comes to mind was those first three phrases that you had us say. Mm-hmm. The first two, if I, if I didn't, if, if you didn't belong to me, I wouldn't, or, you know, what mm-hmm. I wouldn't have come, or, yeah. I found them mm-hmm. confusing. Mm-hmm. Sort of amusing, but like I didn't get it, you know. Oh, okay. And then the third one, my heart and your heart are very old friends. Yes. I, I just love that. I ah. just love that. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what this, you know, looking with eyes of love as a practice, as a way of life, mm-hmm. is just seeing that mm-hmm. your heart and my heart are very old friends. I mean, it's just like it's all around us. Yeah. And we miss it. Yes. But we don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Just a few degrees of separation. Anyone else? All right. Thank you. So it's. 
8.45, I have a I have three different stories, and I have to pick. <laughs> Choose a funny one. Choose a funny one. <laughs> Which one is that? Uh, well, the first one was about judging mind, how it's the habit of our mind to judge. And just know that that's normal to judge. It's a, a normal human trait. If you can know that it's a habit, then just hold that with kindness, right? Um, and a helpful tool to counteract the judgy mind is looking for similarities. How are Anne and I the same, not how Anne and I are different, right? That's really helpful in terms of not judging people. Uh, I have an antidote about how my mind jumped to blame. <laughs> Don't think it's so funny though. <laughs> I think maybe I'll do the uh, the airport. Um, I heard the idea for this talk. I was at another meditation center. To say that really softly, and I heard this uh, person talk about um, about compassion practice, and he suggested that we go out into the world and open up our hearts and try a different way of seeing. And so the mission, not so impossible, if you choose to accept it, is to use these eyes of love and compassion when you leave your front door. Not easy. It's helpful to stay grounded and mindful and to remember that you need to begin again and again, over and over again. I was flying home from uh, spending Thanksgiving with my sister and my daughter in Portland, just a few, uh, month ago. And I set the intention to try this practice at the airport. I would regard everyone I saw with eyes of curiosity, eyes of kindness, eyes of goodwill, eyes of benevolence at the airport. Well, the gods must have decided I wasn't, my practice wasn't going very well, because guess what? The plane had mechanical difficulties, and I had to spend the night at a nearby air, uh, airport hotel. <laughs> the next morning, I got to begin the practice again at, through very blur blurry eyes at 5 a.m. in an infernally long TSA line. Instead of my typical default stance of looking at people, sometimes with a judging or critical eye, I set the intention again of looking at everyone with fondness, as if... There was no separation, as if we were a long-lost friend, as if they had done some great kindness to my family, and I, was, and I was now in their presence. These new pair of eyes had me glowing inside and had me smiling. And incidentally, they say that metta can make you happy. <laughs> yeah, I was happy. And I wondered, who are these people that I'm shining beams of love to. They're just like me. They're my fellow travelers. And I know from experience, because I too, from experience, that our lives are not always happy. Two years ago, to this month, I was uh, flying in a plane, and my sister was uh, dying. Um, 
And that's the state that I was in when I was on the airplane, is that my sister had a sudden illness and was unexpectedly <coughs> dying. And I got to actually the hospital, and she was waiting for me. And just a few hours later after I arrived, she died. And so when you have that sort of perspective when you're on the airplane or at the airport, that some people are just coming back from their honeymoon. Some people have just been diagnosed with a fatal illness. Some people just learn the news that, their that something happened to their loved one or their best friend. Right? We're all, we're just human beings. And just to have great kindness and compassion for everyone. Can we imagine their stories and recognize their pains and their joys as part of this human story? <laughs> so I rushed through three stories, and I had so much room. And now I'm looking at the time, and it's 8.50, and I have 10 minutes left. <laughs> um, that's funny. All right. Um, So, the Buddha said, what, when I do it, will lead to my long-term welfare and happiness? Looking for the long-term welfare and happiness? So then, there's this practice. Most of us are very practiced in the short-term kinds of momentary happiness. I know I am. So I invite you to look at to turn to your partner one more time, and we're going to do a, just a very short little exercise. We're uh, going to copy. Uh, it's called In Lak Ek, which is a timeless Mayan precept. Precepts are codes by which we uh, live by. We have five precepts in Buddhism. This one is from a poem by Martinez Paredes, and again. Um, I'll say the line, the first partner uh, repeats it, and then the second partner repeats it. And then I'll say another line, first partner and second partner. Same partner. Same partner, yeah, we'll keep the same partners. Yeah, there's no thank you. It's just uh, just uh, saying it one at a time. Do we have Spanish speakers in here? Two. <laughs> I guess I won't say the Spanish thing. That's lovely. Or, or shall I? All right. Um, so I'll say the line, and the first partner repeats it, and then the second partner repeats it. So you are my other me. So look at your partner and say that. And now the second partner goes ahead and says it. Oh, good. So both people have said it now? Great. Second one. If I do harm to you, I do harm to myself. If I love and respect you, I love and respect myself. If I love and respect you, I love and respect myself. 
So before we go, I'm wondering if we can just take a moment to look into the eyes of the other and thank them and just behold them with eyes of love. And now, if you wish, turn and look at members of the Sangha with eyes of love. If you dare, just look, see, see how many eyes you can connect with. <laughs> Thank them for coming. Thank them for being here. Thank them for their presence, for their precipitation. (laughs) My perspiration, their participation. (laughs) The reigning love, exactly. Right. So, just this is our sangha. This is the. There are three jewels in Buddhism the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Sangha is the community. It's a very precious gift. So just knowing, can we take this attitude out as we stand up and we put on our shoes and our coats and we leave? Can we take this street meta out with us into our daily lives and send kindness and good wishes to everyone and especially to those who are challenging to us, and at least vow to look at them with eyes, with, um, with non-ill will, non-hatred. <laughs> That's the first step. Right. Okay. I'd like to close with a dedication of merits. This building was, had a dedication in 2019, and there's just the last three uh, sentences I'd like to read to close the evening. I thought they were appropriate for tonight. So may the merit of this practice open our hearts and bring healing and true peace to our lives. May it teach us to become clear vessels of truth so that love shines freely through us. May it benefit and bless the lives of our families and all the people we love, all those we find difficult to love, and all those who live and die unbeknownst to us. May the planet that sustains us receive the merit of this offering, offering, and may all beings everywhere be free. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.